How's everybody doing? Look to your neighbor and say, this is going to be a good year. Only a few of you believe that one. <laughs> Come on. And welcome to our college students. They are back now. So that's awesome. Can I get my water? She brought me the water and then I forgot to bring it up here. <laughs> so, woohoo. All right. Well, today has been amazing already, huh? been a lot of great ministry happening. Um, So I am Pastor Isaac. I'm the youth and young adult pastor, which means I do have to say youth and young adult ministries are starting back up this week. So tonight, young adults, come on out. If you're college or high school grad up to 30, come on out. We have our ministry here at six o'clock, dinner included. We'd love to see you. And then youth starts back up on Wednesday, 630. I know some of you are here. I've seen some of you. So, just want to make mention of that. Um, but Happy New Year. Did you guys have a good last year? Eh, eh, maybe, yes, no. It's a new year, right? New possibilities. There's something great about a new year. I, I love the beginning of the year because I'm like, I can just start off fresh. Fresh new possibilities, new opportunities, new chances come our way. Opportunities for a second chance, Maybe which is actually the title of my sermon here today. It's The God of Second Chances. You can get the title up there. I'm going to be reading some in Exodus, um, some in Numbers, and a little bit in John as well. Um, But Exodus 4, you can get there in your Bibles. I'll get there in a minute, but you can turn there to get ready. Exodus 4, 10 through 16. I know that uh, when it comes to second chances, sometimes they don't come, right? But when they do, what do you do with them? Do you take them? Or do you just sit on them and go, no, no, I don't want that. I don't want that chance. I didn't really like it the first time. I'm not going to take it again. (laughs) I know for Tim and I, we wish we had a second chance regarding the light situation you talked about last week. And uh, I think we got a second chance, right, Tim? (laughs) So, second chances, what do you do with them? I don't know what chances you need renewed or restored, but I'm, I would imagine you don't make every right decision, right? <laughs> I know I don't. But be comforted that we have a God of second chances, amen? This Bible we have here, it is full of examples of people who messed up, who screwed up, who blew their chance, and were given another one by God's grace. One of those examples we're going to read is in Exodus with Moses. Before we dig into it, I want to pray. God, we thank you for the second chances that you do give us, that you're not a God who gives up on us, you're not a God who forgets us, but God, that you, you're full of grace, you're full of love and mercy, and it says in your word that you are a God of compassion, you are a God of love a God of mercy. And God, I just pray that we wouldn't consider your grace to be cheap and letting it go by, but that we would allow your grace to empower us into the things that we deem as impossible to do in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's dig into God's word, right? In Exodus 4, 10 through 16, I'm just going to give you kind of the heads up of what's going on here. In Exodus 
It starts off with Moses. Moses is this man that God chose to use. He's an Israelite, and he's, he's Hebrew. He's from the lineage of Abraham, okay? And the nation of Israel has been in captivity at this point for 400 years. They've been under the slavery of Egypt, and it's been intense oppression. Intense oppression. We as Americans don't know what that looks like, okay? <laughs> whether you want to believe it or not. <laughs> and they are going under and, and just crying out in the same way we talked about this morning of crying out, Lord, hear our cry. Lord, we trust in you. 400 years later, God says, I've heard you. <laughs> so, I mean, we haven't waited 400 years for some of our prayers, right? In this story, Moses comes along God chooses to use him to free the nation of Israel, to free all the Israelites from slavery and captivity in Egypt. Now Moses has his concerns about it. He doesn't think it's going to go so well. He doesn't think people are going to listen to him. He doesn't think he can speak well. And his excuses, God doesn't really give much time for it. But in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10 through 16, we see that Moses doesn't want to listen to God. It says, but Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. And have you said those words before? Don't use me. I'm not going to talk in front of people. <laughs> you might be up here next. <laughs> I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth. That should be comforting, right? I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. I never want that to happen, right? <laughs> was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. More comfort for Moses. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Now, for whatever reason, God relents and gives in to Moses' stubbornness. He's like, fine. And I always wonder why, and part of me thinks maybe there just wasn't really any good options besides Moses. <laughs> he was the best he had to work with. But for whatever reason, God chooses, fine, all right, I'll work with what you give me, not with what I'm giving you. I don't know why God doesn't always do that with me sometimes. But <laughs> regardless, Moses was unwilling to speak, to have God use him to speak to Pharaoh. He was stubborn. He was rebellious. He was resistant to what God wanted to do. How many of you have ever had that happen? <laughs> I know me. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, we're, we're not perfect either, right? <laughs> which is why this story speaks so well to us. When you see the examples that God uses Moses from here on out, so it, 
God uses him miraculously. And if you've seen the movie Prince of Egypt, it's not completely accurate, okay? (laughs) It paints Moses to look way better than he actually was. It makes him look way more perfect because, I I don't know, the, the Jewish people, he's like the best in Judaism. Moses is the, the ultimate until the Messiah that they think is still coming, who already came. But you look at the way God used Moses. Whenever he used him regarding the plagues that happened, regarding anything really, he always used either his hand or a staff. Now i got a staff up here. He never used his mouth. God never used his mouth to do something miraculous through him. It's, it's really strange. But I see it as God being patient with him. It's like, fine, I'll, I'll take some time to work with you. But God gives him a second chance later, which we'll get into. But he uses him to do amazing things, right? So he he's, stretches his hand out to heaven and... The waters are parted for the Red Sea. He takes ash from the ground, throws it in the air, and boils come on the people. That's one of the plagues. It's really terrible. <laughs> he puts his hand out towards heaven. Darkness comes over the land. Locust comes out and devours all the crops. It's crazy, right? But when it comes to him using his mouth, absolutely not, God. Not going to happen. <laughs> How many times have we said that about something in our life? God, I'll do anything for you. I'll do the impossible, except for the thing I don't want to do, which is impossible. (laughs) Right? For whatever reason, God chooses to work with what he's got. He doesn't strike him dead, which which is great, right? (laughs) I know, we're glad he doesn't do that with us, right? For whatever reason, he relents, but he's like, God tells him, I will be with you. And he says the same thing for us. With the thing, God says, I want you to do this. And we go, God, you got the wrong person. (laughs) Why don't you use my brother? (laughs) God, you're at the wrong address. (laughs) You're you're using the wrong person here. He's like, no, I've I've got the right one. I know what I'm doing. God says, I will be with you, and it's meant to be a comfort comfort for us. Yet we get timid, we get stubborn, resistant to God, say, no, you got the wrong guy. For me, I went to an internship after high school, and this is just a little bit about my life. This is where I met Caitlin, my lovely wife. I went to this internship, but I didn't want to go. I was really stubborn, I was really resistant. John Kinzel thinks it's because I'm a redhead. (laughs) That one's for him. So I was, I knew God wanted me to go to this internship. But here's the thing. I've got three older siblings, and all of them went to the same internship. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to just do what my siblings did. And it was almost expected of me to go to this same place because of, well, you're the fourth kid. They all did it. So when are you going? I'm not going. It's not happening. I'm going to do something else. I'll go to a college or something first. And I was stubborn. I knew what God wanted me to do. I thought of every excuse. 
And there was this one point even, it's in Texas, which I don't like going to Texas. <laughs> it's way too hot for me because I'm a redhead. <laughs> and I burn way too easily, okay? So it's in Texas. I'm like, absolutely not. I am never going to Texas. And there was this conversation I was having with somebody. I don't even remember exactly why it got brought up, but just the subject of going to Texas and living in Texas. And I'm like, I will never live in Texas. And I said those words, and my mom's in earshot, knowing full well what God wants me to do, just waiting for me to be obedient. And she, she says, never say never for something God wants you to do. And I'm just, yeah, I mean, I was a teenager. You think I, how do you think I responded to that? <laughs> I was like, me, 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 whatever. I'm not going. Well, eventually... A guy even, I mean, I, I'm telling you, I used everything. There's a guy who prophesied over me saying, you're not going to be like your brother. You're going to be different from your brother. Your destiny, is, your destiny is not his destiny. And I'm like, see, there it is right there, God. You're speaking it. That's not what I meant. And you know it. We, we twist things around to do what we want, right? And that's what I tried to do. I mean, I was so stubborn that I wanted to go to, I was like, I'll go to ORU, which is in Oklahoma, which is basically another Texas, <laughs> for a redhead at least, okay? I know they're, they're at odds with each other. They don't agree. <laughs> but eventually, I relented, and I'm glad I did. I don't know how many chances and how patient God would have been with. Because there's actually times, if you look in Scripture, we'll get to some of it, that you get another chance, and then after that, that's it. You might move on to somebody else. You might say, fine, I'll use someone else. That's what he did with Moses regarding Aaron, right? You see that with the first king of the nation of Israel, with Saul. He misses his chance. He screws up. He's like, all right, fine. Kingdom's not yours anymore. (laughs) I'm getting somebody else. I'm glad I chose to listen and do what God wanted me to, but it did bring about some pain in my life. The resistance I had, the delay I gave, I ended up being in financial distress like the whole time I was there because I never raised money early enough to pay for it. (laughs) So I was like constantly fundraising while I'm at this internship. I'm like, gosh, I really wish I would have started raising money when God told me to go. Our resistance only brings about us some pain, amen. But I fought him, and I'm I'm glad eventually I obviously met Caitlin, my wife, and I never would have met her if I didn't go there. My life would have not nearly as been as wonderful. Aw, I had to say that. I'll talk about you, okay? But God's patient, right? God is so patient with us. He waited months at least for me to finally get on board with what he wanted. Now let's get back to the story of Moses. God was so, so patient with Moses. First time he goes and talks to him in the burning bush, he's like 40, right? Is it 40? He goes and talks to him. You're going to lead my people. He's 40 years old. Oh, he's 80 when he finally... Listens to him? Yeah, he, I mean, he's so much older. <laughs> the first 40 years was in Egypt, and then 40 to 80 was the time away from Egypt, being a shepherd, right? Is that what it is? So he's, 
He's a shepherd for 40 years. And I think part of why God had to wait so long was because he was so stubborn. Maybe it's because he was so old. I don't know. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm going to pay for that one. (laughs) But he was so patient with him, right? And then when he talks to him at the burning bush when he's 80, no, you got the wrong person. He waits and waits. Okay, fine. I'll use your brother, and I'll just work in your comfort zone. How many of you wish he would do that with you, right? (laughs) Works in his comfort zone. And we see in Exodus 17, verse 5 through 6, here's one of his comfort zones. He's doing this deal, going through the wilderness. This is after they have left Egypt, okay? So the Exodus has happened. God delivered them out of Egypt, and he's bringing them to the promised land. Okay. So it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it. And the people will drink, and Moses did so in the sight of the elders in Israel. Right? So he goes up there, he says, you guys thirsty? You need some water? Okay. Bam! Water comes flowing out. And this is all because the nation of Israel was whining and complaining about what God was doing. We should have been in Egypt still. We should have stayed there. It was so much better for us. Slavery was great. <laughs> That's basically what they're saying. They're forgetting, I mean, our pain sometimes blind us, blinds us, right? And they're there, and they're like, oh, we're thirsty. I mean, which, understandably, they're in the middle of a desert, okay? But the way they handled it wasn't exactly great. They go to Moses, and they say, we're gonna, you wanted us dead. You're, they're accusing him of trying to slaughter millions of people in a desert. Why would anyone do that, right? But God, despite the people being completely terrible, okay? They're absolutely horrible. Works a miracle through Moses and chooses to work inside Moses' comfort zone. I don't know why, other than God's good, he's loving, he's gracious, and he's patient. (laughs) And if he's not 40 years patient with you, maybe there's not 40 years of patience available. (laughs) Maybe he needs you to do something that's going to happen sooner. He gets this staff. He uses it. He's like, well, God's not having me use my mouth. I can do this. <laughs> and he uses the staff to bring about this miracle, right? God wants to take us outside of our comfort zone sometimes, right? In fact, he does a lot. <laughs> you look in Scripture, and it happens all the time. I know that Tim preached last, last year, <laughs> this last week, it was the one at the end of the year, talking about a new year. We'd, we like the idea of new, but not really the reality of it sometimes, right? We like the concept of it. Yeah, new sounds great, but don't let it be something that takes me where I'm not comfortable. That's where I draw the line. <laughs> we want to change. 
and don't want something different. Those don't really go together. (laughs) We especially don't want to do what's uncomfortable. And here's the thing. This is what I felt like God was saying. Comfortability breeds complacency, which brings forth stagnation. Now, stagnation, I looked up the definition, and it's a lack of activity, growth, or development. (laughs) That doesn't sound like something we should want, right? (laughs) And it's not something we should desire for God's church. Reminder, it's God's church, okay? That's not God's desire for you. It's a place of stagnation, a place of comfortability. And there's this concept within the church that's floated around now for a long time, and it's, well... God's not going to give you anything more than you can handle. It's not true. (laughs) Did you guys know that? This scripture, there are so many examples of people doing things they weren't comfortable with. (laughs) And having things given to them that were way beyond what they could handle. Think of Moses. We're talking about him, right? He struck a rock and water came out of it. Like Tim was talking about. Things that are not as though they should be. Things that are not as though they are. Was there water in there? (laughs) Made it look like it, right? (laughs) Probably not, though. Until he hit the thing, was obedient to God, and boom, God did it. He created something out of nothing. (laughs) Because he's done it before, he can do it, right? Moses was given a chance of obedience again. He was actually given another chance to use his mouth to bring about the the miraculous of God. God's desire for us is not to be complacent, and it shouldn't be our desires for ourselves or each other, right? There should be movement in the church and in our lives and growth and development. Talking about the beginning of the year, it's a chance for opportunity. It's a chance for challenges. It's chances to trust him, to be obedient to him when you weren't last year at someone. Right? Moses was given the chance to be obedient, using his mouth to speak to Pharaoh, but he blew it. So God gives him another chance. Moses was 80, at least, when God talked to him. And when he was supposed to speak to Pharaoh, and then his stubbornness, He didn't do it, and then years passed. He frees the nation of Israel out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They go to the promised land. The nation of Israel complains ten times, at least. It says in Scripture that you tried me these ten times, so now your children are going to go into the promised land. So here's where we come on the scene. Miriam, his sister, has died by this point, which implies that it's probably been decades, because they're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, okay? So it's at least years later after God first talked to him, if not 10, 20 years later. We don't know how much time has passed exactly, but we can have our assumptions. We see God give Moses another chance in Numbers 20. You can go to Numbers chapter 20, verse 7 through 12. Take a little drink as you guys are turning. Moses, at this point, 
he's still expected to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. Okay? So, him, Joshua, and Caleb. Those are the people God's going to have go into the promised land of that generation. Okay? So, Numbers 20, verse 7 through 12. Now, listen, this is really, really key. Moses comes across a strangely similar situation to the last one. <laughs> I mean, it's like carbon copy almost, okay? <laughs> it's really, really close to the same thing. So, nation of Israel, they're there, they need water again, and by this point, they're just wandering in the desert. Which at that point, I'm like, just let them die, and then have them go into the promised land. But God said 40 years, so he's got to keep them alive a little longer. <laughs> it's a little funny, right? Numbers 20, verse 7 through 12, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff. This is the interesting part. Take the staff. Okay? It says, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brothers, and tell the rock before you, before you and their eyes, to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff, did what God said, right? He took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. It's like you guys are all here before me right now. And he said to them, hear now, you rebels. Don't worry, I'm not talking to you guys, okay? (laughs) Hear now, you rebels. I'll just read it up there. How's that sound? (sighs) Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring you for, for you out of this rock water to drink? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their livestock. Now here's the thing. The Lord says to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. That's painful. I mean, think about it. He's 80 by this point, at least. Maybe even 100. He's been waiting. He's like, I've been doing a lot of work. To bring these people into this promised land. And he blows it. Now I don't understand. It doesn't give us all the details. But I was reading it and I was just like. I don't think he just went up to it. And out of anger just kept beating the thing. Because if he did. He wouldn't have stopped it too. Right? It was almost like he went up to the thing and said. Should I bring you water? Whoa. Okay, good. Because he's like, God, bang. I know you can do this. I saw it before. Smacks it again, and the water comes forth. He's testing God. He's trying him. He doesn't believe what he says is true. But for whatever reason, God has him bring the thing over to the rock. Right? Why do you think he had him bring this staff? He was saying, are you going to do what I want you to do? 
or what you want to do. And there's times that we're put in this quandary, right? We're put in this dilemma. Are you going to obey me and do as I say? Or are you going to be stubborn and rebellious, just like the people I'm telling you to lead? Right? Because he, he should have been talking to himself. <laughs> but he, he hits the thing. Nothing happens. Hits it again. Water comes gushing out. And you think that would have been some relief for him. But really, it brings about more pain than he was looking for. He blows his chance. We're talking about God of second chances. He was given a second chance. He missed it. He doesn't get another one. Now, there's people in the Bible that got another chance and another chance and another chance. And they did the right thing eventually. The nation of Israel, they they got ten chances. They blew them. God's like, fine, your kids will go in. When it comes to working in our comfort zone, we really like it. Right? We want to stay there. We want to be there. We want to stay in our comfort zone. We think it's for our benefit. We think that's where we belong. We think that's what's best for us. That's what's best for everybody else if we just stay where we're comfortable. But it's not true. If you didn't know, the first battle that the nation of Israel was to face in the promised land was Jericho. And how was it that they were supposed to bring the city to ruin? How were they supposed to win? Let's take a look, huh? Jericho was impressive. It was a built city. It had two walls, not just one. It had two. Now, as to how thick the walls were, the Bible doesn't give us a direct description. There's thoughts out there that that you could have two chariots on top of the wall racing each other. That's pretty big, right? And if that's not true, at least we know from Scripture that Rahab had her house literally built in the wall. That's where her house was. To have a house in a wall, it's got to be pretty thick, right? It's got to be wide. Unless she's just going to live in a closet the whole time, which I don't think that's comfortable. <laughs> so that being said, this thing is impressive. It's thick. It's got a lot of rock. Not a place he's really comfortable with. <laughs> Joshua 6, 16, and 20 tells us how they go about the victory. So verse 16, and we'll jump to verse 20 as well. It says, And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout. Everyone say, shout! And the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. What does the nation of Israel do? How did I I emphasize something when I was reading Scripture? (laughs) What did they do to take the city? To use their mouth. 
It was almost as if God says, speak to Pharaoh, who's got a heart of rock. No, God. Okay, fine. Speak to this rock. No, God. Well, how are you going to speak to a city of rock then? If you're not going to speak to this rock right here. Right? Moses doesn't realize God is setting him up for the future. For the battles that are down the road for him. The things that he is to face in the future. God is aware of what's down the road for you. He knows exactly what you need. And some of what you're doing now, and he's calling you to now, is in preparation for then. God wants you ready for the battle. To get you ready, you, got, you might have to speak to a rock. <laughs> you might have to do something you're not comfortable with. You might have to do something that you're not wanting. But God says, I will be what? With you. I will be with your mouth. I will be with you there when you strike the rock. I'll be with you there when you speak to the rock. I'll be with you there when you speak to Pharaoh. I'll be with you when you speak to the stubborn, rebellious Israelites. (laughs) God is going to be with you. He needed to speak to this thing for things to really turn out right. Like I said before, there's this concept of God won't give you more than you can handle. And it probably comes from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which is, it says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. It's not talking about God calling you to something. That's not what the scripture is about. It's talking about the resistance of temptation. God's not going to have any temptation come on you that you can't win. You're not doomed to just fail every single time you're tempted with something. There's always a way out, and God will always provide it. And if you happen to mess up, we have an advocate. That's what Scripture tells us. We might say, well, God would never ask me to do something that makes me uncomfortable. Really? Moses might think otherwise. (laughs) That wasn't how it was for him. But I just don't think I can handle what God wants me to do. Exactly. That's the whole point. You need him. You need dependence on him, reliance on his spirit, reliance on the God of the world, the God of the universe. Because you can't do the impossible. He can. Right? We need the God of the impossible to do the impossible. And there's so many times we're like, God, we want you to do the impossible. All right, let's do it. No, I wasn't talking about me. (laughs) I'm not the one in this conversation. But God wants to use us. Why? Because it's impossible. (laughs) Right? Just a little bit. Moses blew it. But Peter blew it too. John 21, we see an example in Scripture. Ah, This story gets me every time. (laughs) Peter blows it. And he blows it real fast. (laughs) Three times he denies Jesus. 
in the middle of being flogged, whipped with a cat of nine tails, which has nails, bone, fragments of glass in the whip so that it tears the flesh off of him when he gets hit with it. In that moment, he says, I don't know him. The man who he literally said, I will die for you. (laughs) Right? I'm getting expressive here. (laughs) Jesus gets resurrected. Here comes the second chance. John 21. We see Jesus talking to him. 15 through 17, it says, When they had finished breakfast, man, just the thought of that, having breakfast with the resurrected Jesus on the lakeside, that'd be a story to share. (laughs) Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. And then Jesus prophesies over him, tells him what's going to happen to him, and then says, Follow me. And then immediately, Peter gets into comparison. He says, follow me. And he gets distracted already. Gets his focus off of what Jesus said. And then, so go down to verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also leaned back against him during the supper. And said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. We work in comparisons a lot of the time, right? God gives us something to do. Well, you, you, you didn't tell them to do that. So, maybe they're thinking the same thing about something they have to do. Right? Maybe they need a little bit more patience. Maybe they're not quite along in their faith like you should be. Maybe there's a lot of different reasons. So none of them matter. None of them are important enough to say, I don't have to do that. Right? A new year poses a lot of new things, new possibilities. Katie, you can come up wherever you are. There you go. <laughs> she even told me, you're probably not going to find me. <laughs> it poses a lot of new chances, new opportunities. Right? We can have the prayer team come on up here too. More than anything, though, it poses new chances for growth and development of your faith, which is something we should want, Right? But be prepared for what that means. You're going to go out of your comfort zone. God's going to ask you to do some things you don't like, you're not comfortable with. You might think, maybe you're one of the people that's been like, I say that all the time. God won't give me more than I can handle. We say these things to comfort ourselves. 
But the real true comfort is, I'm with you. I'm with you where you go. Wherever I take you, you're not alone. Moses himself believed that, even though he screwed up. He himself said, unless you go with us, I'm staying put. I'm not going anywhere without you. He knows God's asking me to do impossible things, and I will never be able to do them if I'm apart from him. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. This is the stuff he's talking about. You want to be able to accomplish what I want for you? You got to be with me. Some of you, you blew it. Maybe you already blew it this year. (laughs) Right? (laughs) We have a God of second chances. (laughs) Amen? A God of second chances. He's got another chance for you. Now, there might be some things that you missed it, and now you lost that chance. But he's gracious. He's loving. He's forgiving. In a broken and contrite heart, he will not despise. I don't know what things you've, in the last year, need another chance at. Come get prayer. Maybe one thing that you're like, you've been pushing it off, pushing it off. I'll go to church, but I, I just don't know if this Christian thing's for me. I don't know if following Jesus is right. It's right. <laughs> Take the chance now. Don't miss it. You never know when you're going to get another one. For Moses... He got one more, like 40 years later. (laughs) For Peter, he got another one. He seized it. And now we have incredible stories in Scripture of his faithfulness, his goodness, God using him to do the impossible. Now, he wasn't perfect after that. But I can tell you, I'm sure he's glad. He said, yes, I love you. I'll follow you. I'll do it. The Israelites, they had 10 chances and messed up. Don't let another one slip by you. You don't know how many you're going to get. Let's stand up. Let's put our hands up. Putting your hands in this position, it symbolizes receiving something. And I just want you to remember... You're receiving a second chance. You're receiving a chance to make the wrong right. You're receiving another chance to do what God told you to do last year. And he's saying, I'm waiting. I'm still here. So let's pray. God, thank you for your chance. Thank you for the second chance, the third chance, the hundredth chance, whatever many it is. And more than anything, the chance at salvation that we ourselves did not deserve. God, thank you for not giving up on us, that you are so full of grace, so full of love. But when we look in your eyes, we lock eyes with you, we see fire and expectance of following you wholeheartedly. God, we want to find you. We want to seek you. And it says you... If you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with your whole heart. God, I pray we would not 
let these opportunities pass us by. We would seize them. We would take hold of them and not let them go. Be with us the whole way. And God, we trust that you are. As it says in your word, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you wherever you go. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.